Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beard, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wet, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are And good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. Welcome to a brand new day. What do you think about that new theme song? I kind of like it myself. What do you think, Eric? I think it rocks. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I like it. Catchy lyrics. I like it. Hey, we're live here. Welcome to Trek Talking and Beyond. I'm Uncle Jim, and we're live for the next two hours. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Now, I know we review all the episodes week by week by week. We did have a few weeks of The Mandalorian, which cut into our Discovery conversation just a little bit, but that's okay. So now we're going to go back and we're going to spend some time reflecting on the entire season as a whole now that we've had a chance to absorb it and talk about a few things about the series. Uh, As as our theme song said, we talk about the series, and we're going to do just that. So our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'll be here for the next two hours. So give us a call and tell us what you thought about Star Trek Discovery Season so with me as usual are my Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh man, I am doing really good. Uh, we had a great day of weather here. Uh, although I was inside, it's nice and crisp outside. Nice winter weather, and uh, I don't know. I'm just feeling really positive these, these days, Jim. We were talking about it a little bit before the show. Uh, things are looking good. I'm feeling positive, feeling good, and I'm ready to talk about this season because ooh, it's a doozy going to be fun. And we also have with us, as usual, my right-hand man himself. He's out in Las Vegas. And, of course, I'm talking about Charles. How you doing tonight? I'm doing good. We had about mid-60s today. So a little chilly, but nice weather for winter. Talk more discovery. Figure out what what we didn't get to rather talk about. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. And before we do that, guys, I just feel compelled to say welcome back to the United States of America. I am so happy today. Um, I cannot say enough. All of our international listeners, we're back. Um, we never left. We may have gone dark, we were but we never here. lost faith. <laughs> we, we never lost hope, and we are back with a vengeance. So, I'm so happy right now. I'm so thrilled. I've been getting messages from people on our truck talking page from around the globe saying just that. And I just wanted to take a second here to to tell all of you just how important it is and just how happy we are here at Trek talking. So 
congratulations to the United States of America and congratulations to all of us. And uh, hope has been restored. Also, we have 29,000 followers on our Facebook page. We're closing in on 30,000. Uh, wow. Another Jim, can 450. I, tell you I was looking yeah, back in some of our old notes, and a year and a half ago, one and about 18 months ago, guess what our, our big number was that we had just hit at that point? Uh, 25,000? 5,000. 5,000. So a year and a half ago, we were at 5,000. And now we're closing in on 30. Wow. So thank you guys. We're doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys would like to be part of our Facebook family and and help that number rise, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and beyond. A-N-D. Spell that all out. Trek Talking and beyond. And give us a like, give us a follower, and be part of our Star Trek family. One of the things that I think is unique, I don't toot our horn very often, but I'm about to, um, because of a message that I got from somebody today, and it just made me realize, you know, our Facebook page is not about hate. It's not about discontent. It's not about what's wrong. It's about what's right. And myself and my co-host, we try to read all the posts, and we try to keep it a safe environment for everybody to play in. And obviously you can come on and say you don't like this, you don't like that, you don't like the other thing because that's what it's all about is discussion, and that's completely welcome and totally allowed. We're not about attacks or, or, or slinging personal insults at people. You will be immediately banned. And so um, it's a safe place to come and enjoy Star Trek in all of its forms. We're all Star mm-hmm. Trek fans. I grew up watching TOS. I was there when TOG launched. I was there when DS9 launched. I've been there through all of it, all the conventions, all the movies. I love Star Trek, period. You know what? People ask me, what's my favorite Star Trek? And I say to them, who's your favorite child? Okay? <laughs> you can't pick one. It's, you can't. I love all the Star Trek for different reasons. I do have to admit that I have not seen all of Voyager, though. Because I moved to Vermont, we didn't have a station here, so I've missed a lot of Voyager. But I'm feeling inclined to go back and catch up on Voyager because we got a lot of Janeway going on. So please visit us on our Facebook page. Be part of our ever-growing Star Trek family. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Also, if you like this podcast and you like to see it keep going on, we could use your help. Um, it does cost money to keep this phone line open and broadcast around the world live. So you can head over to patreon.com backslash Trek talking. And with 30,000, almost 30,000 people out there, all we need is a dollar. If, if we can just get some people to go over there and pledge a dollar a month, that would go a long way in helping us stay alive and stay afloat. We have other, other uh, tiers there as well. Um, you can actually become a co-host on the show if you'd like, but uh, just head on over there to patreon.com backslash Trek talking and help us out if you can. Anything would be appreciated, and we really, really could use your help. With that, speaking about our global community, Eric, how are things looking around the globe? I noticed one change in our numbers. Oh, my goodness, and it's a very exciting one. So, yeah, every week we like to go through our domestic and international listeners. Uh, United States has about 78% of our listeners, but in our number one spot – 
Uh, Holden Steady has been here for a little bit, uh, but looking good. The UK with 4.39% of our listeners. That's actually up from last week. So, uh, you know, they're starting to approach the territory of uh, back in the day when Canada had like 5 or 6% of our listeners. So we'll see how high the UK can climb. In that number two spot, Australia, the folks down under. You folks have been so consistently on our list for so many years that we just we just really appreciate all of our listeners on the other side of the globe. 3.36% of our listeners come from, from down there. So thank you so much. Uh, Norway is still in our top five down just a skosh from last week, but 2.88% of our listeners. And guess what? Guess who's climbing Canada now, no longer in the number five spot, clicking up to that number four spot with 2.68% of our listeners. Thank you, brothers and sisters to the North. We'd love to see that number get up to three, four, five, 10%. Let's do it. Come on. Why not? <laughs> and in that number five spot, we have Ireland with 2.66% of our listeners. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, both domestic and international. It's so great to have you along for the ride, and uh, we just so appreciate it. We were talking about it before the show that, you know, it's sometimes nice to sit around and chat with each other uh, just about Star Trek, but it's so much nicer to share it with all of you. So thank you so much. Right, Jim? And, and we do. We do that live every Thursday, and we're doing it right now. And not only do we go around the globe with our numbers, but we also give individual fan shout-outs to you guys so that you know that we read your comments, that we appreciate them, and we like to give you guys a little bit of recognition. So if you'd like to be recognized, you can head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper logo with Spock at the top. Just drop us a line. Tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talking, guess what? Your name's going to be on the countdown. You want to tune in and hear it. So, Eric, who are we starting off with for fan shout-outs this week? Well, this week, our number one top fan shout-out goes to James R. Butler from Tyler, Texas. Thank you, James. You uh, interact with us quite a bit on our Facebook page, and we really super appreciate it. So thank you, James Butler from Tyler, Texas. Our next fan shout-out goes to Nikki Kashmir from Tweed Heads, Australia, one of those folks who's keeping Australia in the lead, the top five. Thank you so much. We're saying hello and thank you so much to Tune Sita from Uruguay. Wow, that's super cool. Uh, I think that's probably the first one that we've actually had that I can remember on the show. So Tune, wow, thank you so much for listening. Jacob Kylar from the Czech Republic. We're saying hello to you and thanks for listening to us. And also Debbie Rutledge from Truro, Nova Scotia, way over there on the East Coast. You know, I've always wanted to go up to Nova Scotia. Never been there, but it looks like it is really super amazing. I have to make a trip over there one of these days when the COVID doesn't have us uh, in its grasp anymore. Charles, who is on your list this week? Oh, I've got... Ian Wadsworth from Essex, UK. Top fan, Ivan Mez from Germany. Bobak from Toronto, Ontario. John P.J. Stiles from Vegas. <laughs> Name sounds familiar, but I'm don't. not sure about the person. And Susan Simmons from Jacksonville, Florida. Jim, how about you? Well, I'd like to send out uh, to our top fans, 
Joe Murray, um, who's from Scotland. He says, hi, all, from Scotland. And I got to tell you, my grandmother was from Scotland. So never been there. Love to visit. But thank you for listening, Joe, and he's one of our top fans. We'd also like to say hello and thank you to Richard Burkowski from New York City. Represent. My grandparents lived in Brooklyn, and I spent many a summer at Coney Island. So thank you, Richard Burkowski from New York City. We'd like to say hello and thank you to another top fan of ours, um, Alan Kensel from New Zealand. Thank you for listening, Alan. We really appreciate it, and thank you for interacting with us on our Facebook page. That's what it's all about, fan interaction. Without the fans, would be worthless. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. We'd also like to say thank you to Fiona Braun from Bavaria, Germany. Thank you for listening in Germany. In fact, um, uh, Laura Dre is now in Germany, correct? She moved there from the U.K.? She is. Yep. She she returned home to uh, to record as a solo artist there in Germany. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I wonder. Well, anyways, and our final, but definitely not least, we'd like to say thank you to Diana Harrington from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. She says, just finished watching TNG again on Netflix. I find the series just as relevant and entertaining now as it did when it first aired. Oh, I also love Discovery. So thank you for listening and joining with us, Diana. We really, really, really appreciate it. And you know what that means, guys? It's time mm-hmm. for our birthdays. And what we usually do is we start off our birthdays with those who are no longer with us, who are part of our Star Trek family, who have departed. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who do we have on our, our list this week? Yeah, our first remembrance this week goes out to Torin Thatcher, uh, who played the character Marplon in the TOS episode Return of the Archons. Uh, you probably remember uh, that character. He was the one who was sort of the leader of the underground that uh, that opposed the will of Landrew uh, in that episode. So did a great job in that role. Uh, would have had a birthday this week. So uh, happy birthday and remembrances to Torin Thatcher. We're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Peter Mark Richmond, uh, who played Ralph Offenhouse in the TNG episode um, uh, uh, the neutral zone. And what I was wondering, is this the same actor? He looks very familiar to me. Is he the same one who played, uh, was he on like the old lost in space or does he just look like that guy? He might just, I think he just looks, I think he just looks like that guy. Man, he looks so much like him, but, uh, you know, that neutral zone episode, that was also a pretty cool one. Um, you know, he was the guy who had himself frozen, like, back in the 90s, and then he awakes, and he's, you know, there's all this new stuff, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, so happy birthday to Peter Mark Richmond. We're also saying happy birthday and uh, remembering Michael Pataki this week, uh, and this is somebody who has played a couple of different uh, Klingon roles. Uh, they played Korax, 
uh, in uh, The Trouble with Tribbles, uh, which was, of course, in the original series, and then uh, made a return later on as Karnas in the TNG episode Too Short a Season. So happy birthday to Michael Pataki. We're also remembering this week Peter Broco, who played Claymare in the TOS episode Errand of Mercy. Uh, of course, one of the, I think one of the most famous episodes uh, of, uh, of TOS. Uh, so yeah, happy birthday to him. Also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Lee Delano, who played Kalo in the TOS episode piece of the action um we've talked about that episode quite a bit uh he's he's a pretty minor character he gets his clothes stolen (laughs) but it was fun to have him uh in that episode uh we're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to fritz weaver uh who was kovat in the ds9 episode tribunal and uh, probably our biggest one uh, for the week, uh, somebody who is one of the big three from the original series, uh, I think some would argue uh, is the definitive doctor of Star Trek. Uh, some might say Beverly Crusher. But uh, of course, we're talking about DeForest Kelly, uh, who played Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy in the original series, in the movies. Uh, and actually also in The Next Generation as a 137-year-old, uh, you know, guest star uh, in the very first appearance of, uh, of the Enterprise D, which I thought was just such a cool tie-in back to the original series. I can't tell you um, how many good scenes I think involve Bones. I mean, he's, he's like the conscience uh, of the show in some respects. He's Kirk's best friend. Uh, and knows exactly what Kirk's need, Kirk needs in certain moments, and yet he's not really afraid to defy him and, and do what he thinks is right uh, when the moment comes. So uh, I thought he was just such a great character on that show. Like I said, one of the big three, Spock, Bones, McCoy, right? Uh, so happy birthday to him. Would you guys like to say anything about, about uh, DeForest Kelly as Bones? Well, I actually had an opportunity to meet him um, after he did his TNG role, um, this was uh, before he died. He was very old, very frail at the time. But, boy, did he love the fans, and was he gracious. I had him sign a picture from TNG of him with Data walking down the hallway of the Enterprise. Just a great, comparing, compassionate man. Um, it was wonderful to meet him. And one of my favorite scenes with him, well, he has so many, but one that, that is one of my favorite scenes that I think defines the character a mm-hmm. lot for me is from Star Trek V when he unplugs his father with, yeah. with Cybok. Um, uh. You know, you can rag on Star Trek V all you want, and that's fine, but this is one of those moments that I think, you know, when he unplugs his father um, is an incredible moment in Star Trek history, and it's an incredible scene for DeForest Kelly to play. And it's a powerful scene as well. So, you um, know, it's funny. It's funny as I was thinking about him, Jim, I actually was thinking about the camping scene too. And just, you know, those three guys sitting around talking uh, in Star Trek five and the, the love, you know, between them. And of course, uh, Bones being a, a key component of that, it was just funny that the first thing I thought of was a scene from Star Trek V when I thought of him today. 
And being being a camping a camper myself, that's one of the things about Star Trek Five that make, it hits home for me is they it starts with them camping and it ends with them camping, and uh, to see them doing something other than starshipping and doing something that I enjoy doing with my family, um, which is one of the reasons one of the many reasons why I enjoy Star Trek Five, The Final Frontier, is that camping scene as well. So, yeah, DeForest Kelly. I do want to say, not about DeForest Kelly, but Cara Urban. I had an opportunity to meet him up at Truconderoga as well. And Carl Urban, I think, really brings out the inner McCoy, the inner DeForest Kelly um, in the Kelvin movies. Um, When I watch him, I can envision DeForest Kelly in those scenes because Carl Urban just, just, musters his inner DeForest Kelly like nobody else. And he just, he just comes off. I, I genuinely believe that he's Dr. McCoy. Yeah. He does such a great job. And, and we, you know, when he tells us why he's called bones, which was never revealed before mm-hmm. until the Star Trek 2009, when he, when he tells Kirk that. So I, I love DeForest Kelly and I love the character of bones. I think he's the heart and the soul of TOS. How about yep. you, Charles? Did you want to say anything about DeForest Kelly? Well, nope. I think you guys summed it up very well. Yeah. Yeah. He. Well. Yeah. He. Yeah. So, anyways, so uh, Charles, uh, who we we have a couple minutes here. We'll try to squeeze in as many as we can. But who's on your list? Okay, I got Rainer Stone. And I'm not even sure how to pronounce this character's name. Esqua. I think it's Esach. From, from TNG's Alliance. Legions. Yeah. Then we got Andrea Martin, who played Ishka in mm-hmm. DS9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, most people are used to hearing her sing as Moody. Oh, so cool. Yep. Yep. And, and I, uh, didn't she... She went on to become the Mrs. Nagus too, I believe. Didn't she marry yep. Zek? She married him uh, before yep. Zek gave up the uh role. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I just have to say, like, what a I've actually used Moogie as a like counter example many times when explaining kind of like cultural norms to people and just like point of view, you know, because in a Ferengi society things are all upside down and then she's the upside down of the upside down. So <laughs> She's yeah. such a cool character. Absolutely. Then we got Alex Dell, who played the synth F8 in Picard's Maps and Legends. Hell yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Hell yep. yeah. <laughs> oh, it was an interesting character. Yeah. And then I stuck one... I snuck one of the one more birthday in on my list. It's not a Star Trek one, but it's a major sci-fi birthday. Happy birthday to Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, who played Doctor Who from 1974 to 1981. Mm-hmm. And many of those yeah, are I think... age. That's back when Doctor Who was run on PBS. Mm-hmm. And we got our I first think, exposure to Doctor Who in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think that he is the most iconic Doctor Who 
because he wears the scarf and the hat. Yes. And people just, when you say Doctor Who, even if, if you're like me and you have no idea what anything is, you're going to know Tom Baker, the scarf and the hat. It's just, it's iconic with Doctor Who, in my opinion, anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Oh, the, the scarf is our, very iconic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, for our listeners at Odyssey Radio, we have to take a very quick break, so just hang in there. For the rest of our listeners, we're going to hear a quick commercial from Freakopolis Geekery, my buddy TJ, and then we're going to come back and finish up our birthdays. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. So we're going to finish up our birthdays, and the first one we have um, I threw in there because, just because, we're going to say happy birthday to Jeff Yeager. No relation to me. Wish he was, but he's not. Uh, he played Aiden in the Voyager episode Flesh and Blood. He was the leader of the um, hologram that were trying to gain independence. And uh, mm-hmm. the doctor went to help them. And I bet you're surprised that I know that, aren't you? <laughs> I was wondering if you had just like looked that up or if you actually had seen that episode. Yeah. No, I, I have actually seen that episode. Uh, so that's awesome. why I threw him in there. I don't have a lot of Voyager knowledge, but that particular one I do. And the fact that he's Jeff Yeager, I had to throw him in there. Uh, The next birthday we have is is a great one, a really great one. Um, Yeah, Joanne Linville, who played, well, she played the Romulan commander, but she actually, I'm not sure if it's canon or not. I don't um, know for sure if it's canon what her name is, but yeah. Yeah, on the show she whispers something to Spock, and he says how beautiful and rare we're never told what her name is. So she's just referred to as a Romulan commander. And, of course, she was in the TOS episode, The Enterprise Incident, which is one of my all-time favorite episodes. And she does, of course, um, in Star Trek Attack Wing, she does have a card, and she is given a name, at least in Star Trek Attack Wing. Her name is Liviana Charvenek. Yeah. I don't know if that's canon or not, but, yes, she does. Yeah. Um, we got a couple of uh, really good ones and one really good one. Uh, Rain Wilson, who played Harry Mudd in the Star Trek short treks and then reprised it later on, on, on <laughs> excuse me, at Star Trek Discovery. He played mm-hmm. a great Harry Mudd. Um, what did he say? Jippers uh, on the beach, I think is what he said. Yep, sipping um, yep, sip jippers on the beach. Yep, sipping jippers <laughs> on the beach. Happy birthday to Rain Wilson. The next one, 
we'd like to say happy birthday to Issa Briones, who played Dodge, Sozie, Jana, and Sutra in Star Trek Picard. I was shocked when I find out she's younger than my daughter. Yeah. I'm like, wow. She's super young. <laughs> I know. I know. Wow. Jeez. And yet all that um, talent is just like coming out of her pores, right? I mean, her voice, her face, her like way she acts, like the way that she played four different characters. So awesome. And if you guys, if you guys remember, she sang Blue Skies yep. in the finale when, when Picard unplugged Data. Which is the same song that Data sang at Riker and Troy's wedding. And she she sang it um, in the episode. Well, not her character, but she, the actual actress, Issa Briones, sang the song and, that they played in the episode, which was which was beautiful and touching. And, oh, don't get me started. So happy mm-hmm. birthday to Issa Briones. Now, the one that I saved the biggest and the bestest for last, um, and this is a person that I met a few years ago at a convention. Freddie, this person was sitting next to Freddie. Um, we came off meeting Freddie, and I just went over to her um, and just talked to her and talked to her and talked to her. And she was a mountain of knowledge. Uh, she'd been on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, MASH, um, Fantasy Island, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, so many movies. And we just we just hit it off really well, and we talked and talked and talked and talked and and I'm always on the lookout for guests to have on this podcast to share with you guys, our listeners. So I gave her a card and I said, hey, you know, you want to be on our show? And, of course, she said yes. And then she told me, well, she's local. She's only, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump away from me in Saranac Lake, New York. And I said, great. And I left. And me and Karen and Jane were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, not only did she come on this show several times, but – I do a podcast with her every single Sunday called Stunt Treks. You guys can listen to it right here live from 7 to 8 o'clock. And, of course, I'm talking about the one, the only, Leslie Hoffman. So I want to extend a very special, very heartfelt happy birthday to Leslie Hoffman. And as you guys know, we always play the Worf birthday. But when it's a birthday of somebody special or somebody that we know, I have a, a Weird Al Yankovic version of Happy Birthday that I want to play, and I'm sending this out to you, Leslie. Happy Birthday. Well, there's a punk in the alley, and he's looking for a fight. There's an Arab on the corner buying everything in sight. There's a mother in the ghetto with another mouth for feet. Seems that everywhere you look today, there's misery and greed. I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun, but that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's more than you can say, organization 
Facebook page and wish her happy birthday. And I'm sure she'll respond to you. She loves to hear from you guys. So with that, it's time for Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. So all the stories that we're going to talk about tonight, you guys can find them on our Facebook page and read them in their entirety. I just kind of go through and just pick out some points high points of the articles to kind of wet your whistle. It's up to you guys to go and read the articles in their entirety. So, Charles, you get to start off our first article. So what do you got for us? Sounds good. Star Trek Discovery producers and stars on what's next for Captain Burnham in Season 4. Captain Burnham's arc. The final scenes of hope. That is you, part two, shows Michael Burnham finally ascending to the rank of captain to take command of the USS Discovery. Co-showrunner Michael Paradise talks about Michael's arc in season three. We knew we wanted to get Burnham to the captain's chair at the end of the season. We wanted to give her the best arc possible. So in, the, in that moment, in episode three, where Drew and Michael are having a conversation, she declines the chair. She even says, in, in that moment, she recognizes that Saru is the right individual to have the chair because of the way he leads. Because he has already led them there and not something Burnham is ready for. Kurtzman also talked about Michael's arc in every season and forms her being, being a good captain forward. Burnham has really struggled through every season. The Vulcans show me I am supposed to be this person. And Starfleet tells me I'm supposed to be this person. So she tries to be different things. Burnham, up until the end of season three, had been thinking, I have to pick a lane. is isn't until she gets to the end of season that she realizes I can be both. And I can hold the space for both things, and that's what's actually going on that defines me as captain. Saru's journey in season four. With Michael now firmly in the captain's chair, it does raise a question regarding Saru's role in season four. But Michael Paradise confirmed he will be back. Saru will be definitely be back for season four. We were concerned people would be afraid that Saru would not be coming back. But as part of why he talks about going to Kaminar right now with Sukal. So hopefully it comes across that he will be coming back for season four. In Ready Room, Doug Jones speculates on Saru's future. Saru really wants to take this opportunity because he wants to go home too. His nostalgia has gotten the better of him. Now here is a cut up. Keplin, who needs a big brother type. So Saru takes the role on Happily, is it difficult to return to the ship that you've captained and be a subordinate? Is there some connection to Kaminar now? Or maybe Ambassador Saru for Kaminar to the Federation. There are many options and many places we can go with it, and I am looking forward to what that is, what is ahead. 
definitely, I don't think people worry where we're going to lose Saru, and it's like, no, we're not losing Saru. Saru's still going to no, be near some popular. things, but he needs a new, he, I think he just needs a new arc, story arc. So I think it's a good direction yeah. to go with him in that character. I, and I love Doug Jones, so whatever they give him, I'm sure Doug will yeah. just make the most of it. Uh-huh. He's an awesome actor. Exactly. So, uh, Eric, what do you got for us? Oh, I got a pretty good story here. Uh, mine is entitled, Discovery Finally Solved Star Trek's Admiral Problems. Star Trek has long had a problem with evil admirals, uh, which is true. The Star Trek Discovery's Admiral Vance, played by Oded Fair, uh, emerged as the best flag officer in years. Vance is the commander-in-chief of the 32nd century Starfleet. His responsibilities include the protection of what remains of the United Federation of Planets 100 years after the burn wiped out the galaxy's dilithium, which almost entirely eliminated warp travel, silenced long-range communications, and reduced the once-mighty Federation to a mere 38 far-flung member worlds. Rogue admirals weren't a major issue until Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when Admiral Cartwright, played by Brock Peters, conspired to assassinate Klingon High Chancellor Gorkin, played by David Warner. Diabolical admirals uh, began popping up with more frequency after that in Star Trek The Next Generation, such as Admiral Pressman, played by Terry uh, O'Quinn, who illegally tried to develop a cloaking device. The TNG movies introduced a crooked admiral in Star Trek Insurrection's Admiral Doherty, who conspired with the, with, uh, the Sona to illegally take over the Briar Patch from the Baku. In effect, it's a running joke among Trekkers that Starfleet admirals aren't to be trusted until they prove otherwise, and it speaks ill of Starfleet that so many of its leaders turn evil. Vance is intelligent, shrewd, and capable which he proved when he personally negotiated a potential armistice with the Emerald Chain's Osira. Uh, despite being tempted by her offer, Vance wisely realized it was an offer too good to be true, and Osira showed her true villainous hand, and the Admiral challenged her sincerity. Vance remained a true believer in the Federation, and he emerged as the best Admiral Star Trek has seen in many years. And I will say that I cannot agree more um, with this article personally, I think that, you know, we we almost were all a little suspicious of him when he first came on, right? Because he yeah. seemed like he was so together. You're like, no, he's an admiral. Something's going to go wrong here. Um, but I think that Vance has actually been just a fantastic character on the show. Uh, not only is the actor just amazing uh, in the way he plays the character with some this, like, sense of, Utterly authority, and yet he's also super compassionate. Like his his whole um, talk about his wife and his kid and how they had to leave and that kind of stuff. Like you you get you get kind of an emotional sense from him too. Um, so it's it's just so fresh to have a character like that in the admiral role. Now I will say that Discovery has had its own share of admirals, and I think overall the admirals in Discovery have been pretty good. I mean, of course we have Cornwell, who was totally awesome, um, and arguably died a death that she maybe shouldn't have died. That's my opinion. Um, we had uh, the very first Admiral we ever saw in Discovery was uh, was Admiral Brett Anderson. He was on board the Europa, um, and, you know, presumed dead uh, at the hands of the Cleave ship. Uh, and then we have seen a couple of actually 
Uh, other raced admirals, which is pretty cool, uh, non-human admirals on Discovery. Also, we've seen a Tellarite uh, admiral, and of course, we've seen Tyrol, who's the Vulcan admiral that is kind of like so Vulcan, he's just kind of annoying. <laughs> I think when, when he talks. So, um, so yeah, I think Vance is right up there. I mean, um, it's funny, I just, like, not to dwell on this topic too much, but I was thinking about all the admirals throughout Starfleet, and, you know, in TOS, we kind of had these admirals that would sort of pop in for one episode and, like, order Kirk to do something or order Kirk to not do something, but but they were never really a huge part of the story. Um, you could add, you could argue maybe, like, during Spock's court-martial or something, maybe, but that was about it. Uh, it wasn't until TNG that we really got the, the admirals that that you kind of like started to question. And the one that comes to mind in particular, which I think, Jim, you know who I'm talking about, um, is Admiral Nechea, uh, you know, Picard's direct superior. And she appeared yeah. in many, many episodes of TNG and was kind of like, I don't know. When I think about her, I actually think about her um, in the same way that I think about uh, Clancy from Picard in that they're both like probably just really good at their jobs and tend to be kind of annoying as a result and have a really close relationship with Picard. I will say that uh, Picard's relationship with Nietzsche was pretty dysfunctional throughout TMG, but, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, not a lot of good admirals there. You know what turned me uh, uh, into Vance's corner were two scenes in particular. The mm. first one is when Saru was going to send uh what was it? They were going on a mission and Saru wasn't going to allow them to go. And um, Vance stepped in and said to him that he gave him some speech about how, you know, if he didn't allow it, he would regret it because his crew would look at him in a different way. Yeah. And that they would take care of Kaminar and to go because if he let Giorgio die, it would be something he could never bounce back from, even though he didn't think taking Giorgio to see the guardian of forever might have been the best thing. And Vance talked him into it and gave him his stamp of approval. And that's when I started to say, well, you know, there's more to this guy than we realize. Because he came uh-huh. off as really sincere and really honest. And, like, he really, for the first time, cared about Saru and the crew of the Discovery. And uh-huh. then the part that really won me over was at the end in, in the final episode when he's talking about his wife and his kids and he tells Burnham, you know, yeah. last time we had this conversation, I was dressing you down for making the wrong decision. But now I think it was the right decision. And he had that whole conversation with her about she's ready to be captain and he thinks she should take the chair and be in command of the enterprise, of the discovery. And uh, he already talked to Saru about it. And that's when I said, wow, this dude gets it. This dude is cool. And he's replacing Cornwall as my, my, the admiral that I can now like. That's yep. why I jumped in his corner. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's nice that they, that they did that with his character and, you know, that he stayed so consistent throughout the entire series. You know, every time they came back to him, uh, he always approached things with a, that 30,000-foot that view. You believed him as an admiral, right? Because he didn't, like, the stories about him or that included him weren't, necessarily just little one-on-one interactions they involved big big moves and yeah super super cool yeah i like him i like him i didn't at first but i 
I grew to like him. And that's, that's a, a testament to the good writing and the good characterization that they gave the character. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I usually do the Klingons cause, cause I like Klingons and today's story is no different. Uh, Michael Dorn on agent revelation and Worf's journey from macho guy to bad father. Michael Dorn played the Klingon Worf in seasons of Star Trek, the next generation four seasons of Deep Space Nine, and all four TNG feature films. He even appeared in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as an ancestor of Worf, which all adds up to more appearances in Star Trek than any other actor. Since his time with the franchise, he has kept busy with lots of voice work, animation, and video games, as well as acting in television and film. His latest role is in the science fiction film Agent Revelation, which will be released on demand this weekend. In Agent Revelation, you play a billionaire fighting an alien conspiracy. Did you draw any inspiration from anyone we know? Michael Dorn replied, this was almost two years ago now, so we wouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole as far as we've gone. So, no, it wasn't the character. It was just a guy that I'm imbued with the idea that had done something really, really wrong, and he was making amends. He was atoning and learning. Hey, look, this is what I did. This is why I did it, and there are terrible reasons. And now I have to kind of pay for it. Um, The last time we saw you with Star Trek, not counting the video games, was in Nemesis. As you were making it, did you feel like like it was the last one or just another one in the series? To which he answered, our contracts are different, but my contract was for the first three movies. The fourth movie was sort of like a bonus kind of thing. So – it was like, if we do fourth movie, great. But it just looked like they were going to do feel like the last one because I think that the business was changing. People's tastes were changing. We had been on the screen for 15 years or something. I thought, I think this is going to be it. For no one reason that I think things are changing, we had already had three or four spinoffs, and there was a kind of thought that maybe one of the spinoffs was going to start the next movie, but we didn't know. I think what happened is the movie didn't perform as well, and they had hoped, and it was kind of like, okay, that's it. I did feel in a way, okay, thank God these guys are done. They couldn't wait to sell off everything and get out of the Star Trek The Next Generation business. Looking back at Worf's whole arc, they really did throw a lot of stuff at you. There was all this physical stuff, obviously, but there's technical stuff. Then there was family stuff, emotional stuff, relationship stuff, a marriage, becoming a widower. For you personally, what was the biggest acting challenge you most relished? Michael Dorn replied, all the physical and running and jumping and killing stuff, that was easy. I love doing that stuff. So that was no big deal. The acting challenge that I adored was the idea that he was a really terrible father. He laughed. He was really bad. Not because he was mean, but because he didn't get it. He just didn't know how to make it work. That, to me, was a great challenge. And luckily, they picked up on all that and wrote some really fantastic stuff into Deep Space Nine. See, Michael Dorn. That transforms him into a super soldier that can communicate. Why aliens are 
unravel the alien mystery. Agent. Friday, and I will. And Charles, what do you got for us? Hold on. I wasn't sure if it's me or you breaking up. I kind of lost you in that no, last I can paragraph. Hear you. No, I can hear you. Okay, well, I didn't. He- I was losing you in that last paragraph. Patrick Stewart talks okay. Star Trek Picard season two prep. Teases cha- changes that will have quite an impact. After a long hiatus, Star Trek Picard is set to go back into production for season two in a few weeks, depending on what happens in California. Star Sir Patrick is raring to go and drops some hints about what's to come. On Stewart studying season two scripts, excited to get back. Production for the first two first season of Star Trek Picard wrapped up in September 2019, and with pandemic lockdown following in early 2020, Sir Patrick Stewart is finding himself antsy. Picard star talked about what was li- what was it like on you know, getting back to work. This downtime is the longest period without work in my career. The last couple of weeks, I have been called to the studio for wardrobe costume fittings. I woke up both these mornings that I had to drive myself to Santa Clarita. So excited I was attending wardrobe a wardrobe session. It wasn't the same as walking in front of the camera and having an act, act in a role but the wheels were beginning to turn again, and I felt so good. Now that I've got five scripts for the show and different dra- and different drafts of those scripts. Season one finale saw Jonathan Picard resurrecting in a thin golem body, sparking a lot of discussion about how the new android Picard is different than the original. When asked about this, Stuart revealed the discussion he had about that with, uh, with executive produ- producer Akiva Goldsmith and the new showrunner Terry Manalis. That question has brought up a lot with Akiva and Terry when the three of us were having script discussions. I want to know exactly what they had done to me when they saved my life. And was there any chance that this might have an impact on Picard's personality or behavior? They felt it probably wouldn't, wouldn't. But lies there an option we should take? Need to take it. But there's also another human aspect of being introduced in season two, which I'm not allowed to talk about. But it's going to have, I think, quite an impact. Stewart also talks about how emotional it was for him personally to film the finale, final scene with Picard and Data in the season one finale. That long scene, I think it was seven pages, which is long for a TV series. The season when one Brent and myself were alone on the set, and that was when Data told me that he wanted, for me, I think it was one of the happiest Days on film set. 
because not only was the writing outstanding and complex and beautiful, but I was sharing them with the only character of Data whom I admire, but one of my dearest and most loved friends, that Brent Spiner. It was all it all became almost overwhelming. Right at the end of the scene I go walk out the door and leave him and then I turn around and say, Goodbye, Commander. And for several takes, I couldn't say it. I couldn't get the words out. I felt so emotional. Mm. So true. That was a great scene. That, that I mean, it was, was the same for us, too. The same for everybody who watched yeah. that scene. Like, when he walks out and says, Goodbye, Commander, I mean, I was just bawling my eyes out. <laughs> it was really intense and so well acted, yeah. It's nice to hear I him think say it was that the, he was so into it, yeah. It was a sense of closure uh, that yeah. we didn't get from Nemesis. Uh, we had that little kind of funeral thing and the B4 thing, but we didn't really get that closure of data, and it was perfectly executed in Picard, I felt. Yeah. Just outstanding. Yeah, I, mean, I was bawling like a baby. My wife was crying. I mean, it was... Very well done. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our, our another quick commercial break, guys, and we still got a lot of show to talk about. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Please give us a call. We'd love to get you on the air right away. Don't touch your dial. We'll be right back after this very quick yet very informative message. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday nights, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. So we have a couple of more stories to go over, and then we're going to dive into Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Uh, CBS All Access relaunches at Paramount Plus in March. Paramount Plus arrives on March 4th. This morning, Viacom CBS announced Paramount Plus will launch in the U.S. on Thursday, March 4th, 2021. This new service will replace CBS All Access and become the home of Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Short Treks, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and new shows such as Strange New Worlds, which goes into production in early 2021, and will also launch as Paramount Plus Original Series. Paramount Plus will include a library of original content from across Viacom CBS, including Paramount Network, MTV, VH1, BET, Comedy Central, Smithsonian, and Nickelodeon, as well as films from the Paramount Library. Viacom will also be bringing Paramount Plus to the international markets with initial debuts in Latin America on March 4th and the Nordics on March 25th and Australia in mid-2021. The CBS All Access service in Canada will be rebranded as Paramount Plus on March 4th and expand offerings will be available later in the year. So that's really good news for a lot of our international listeners. And we've been hearing about Prodigy being on Nickelodeon. Well, guess what? Now that means Prodigy will be on the Paramount Network along with all of our favorite Star Trek shows. So keep an eye out for that. As more uh, details develop, I will bring them to you guys. 
I'm not sure how it's going to affect the pricing. From what I've been able to find, it's not going to change anything. Um, if you're already a subscriber, I don't know what's going to happen if you subscribe later, but we'll keep you in the, the conversation. Area. The conversation I heard last night at our Star Trek club meeting is that the prices currently are not going to change. The prices are going to okay. stay the same as they are now for the U.S. There you have it. And uh, Eric, speaking of prodigy, you get to wrap up our Star Trek news with our final story. Oh, this is great. Our final story is about one of my favorite captains. Star Trek Voyager's Kate Mulgrew narrates Captain Janeway's autobiography, which I think uh, everyone on this show is in the midst of reading right now. Kate Mulgrew is returning to voice Captain Catherine Janeway from Star Trek Voyager in the upcoming animated series Star Trek Prodigy. Before that, She's providing Janeway's voice as the narrator of the audiobook edition of the autobiography of Catherine Janeway, the history of the captain who went further than had anyone before. The book written from an in-universe perspective by our good friend Una McCormick and published by Titan Books. Janeway recounts her journey through the Delta Quadrant with personal insights into how she uh, became uh, or how she bound a crew of mixed Starfleet and Maquis personnel together. Through McCormick's writing, Janeway considers how she forged alliances and faced down the Borg on the Collective's home turf. Star Trek's producers announced Mulgrew's return as Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy on Star Trek Day 2020. It came as a pleasant surprise to fans celebrating Voyager's 25th anniversary this year. Quote, Kate's portrayal of Captain Janeway is truly iconic and has resonated with a global audience for many years, said Ramsey Nato, president of Nickelodeon Animation. We can't wait to see her bring this character to life in a whole new way while continuing to be an inspiration for both new and loyal fans. Star Trek Prodigy, of course, uh, premieres right now uh, as uh, on Nickelodeon, hopefully sometime in 2021. So that is pretty exciting. I was kind of joking, not joking with the guys uh, in chat uh, the other day that this might be the book that I actually buy in both digital format and paper uh, because I originally got this as a Kindle book and then learned from Jim that the paper copy has a whole series of beautiful photos in it that are not included in the Kindle copy. So I'm very excited about that. But now, now to know that Kate Mulgrew actually voices uh, the autobiography, well, gosh, I got to buy yeah. the audible version now too, don't I? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I'm up to chapter seven in that book and I'm really enjoying it. And uh, we're going to be having um, Una McCormick on to talk about that book once all three of us finish it and we can fit her into, or she can fit us into her schedule. And we'll get that information posted on our Facebook page as soon as we have it worked out for you guys. So keep an eye out for Book Nook with uh, Una McCormick. And that wraps Pretty up safe. our Star Trek news, guys. All the articles that we talked about can be found on our Facebook page, and you're encouraged to go there and read them in their entirety. And we have a caller on the line. And if I can get the thing to work, there we go. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Okay. Yep. So guys, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about 
Star Trek Discovery Season 3. I really don't have to play this, but I, it's just a habit. Black Ooh. alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- All right, Eric, why don't you start us off with what the fans gave Season 3 for scores. 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. What did the fans yeah. think about Star Trek Discovery Season 3? Our Facebook page uh, coming through. Uh, first, we have Renee Hidalgo, who says, about a six. Uh, I'm a fan of Discovery, but losing Spock Pike and number one at the same time was rough. I felt the burn explanation was super dumb, and Osira was just a crappy villain. Um, so that's what Renee says. Uh, top fan Danielle Van Bentham says an eight. The fight scenes lasted too long. Not really into that stuff in my sci-fi. Daniel Mason says, a solid eight. Glad to see it set in the future and explore the burn. Would have been an 8.2, but the uniforms suck. Very baggy. <laughs> Top fan, Procesis Mac Fahergeron says, loved it, an eight. Larry Hatchie says, a seven. The person that only she could see could have been written out. <laughs> Top fan Claire Bainbridge says 10. Absolutely loved it. Didn't expect to. Wasn't that keen on season one and two. And finally in my list, Vioral Sorenita says a three. Child who destroys the galaxy, I'm sorry, but no. Charles, how about your list? Okay, I've got Elliot Johnson. I'd give it an eight. Was much better in the first two seasons. Carmen DeLetto, eight. A bit choppy, and I was able to guess many of their surprises. For example, we would see the invention of the Doctor's Polo Admitter next season because we have a thrill who needs to be seen. Top fan Clayton Wilson says nine out of ten. Love it. Top fan Ian Curran gives it a ten. Oliver... Surfer only gave it a six. And Lawrence Edward Richard gave it a four. And I'm being generous. Jim, how about your group? Uh, well, my group, we'll start off with our top fan, Sergio Daro Bosco, who gave it a seven. Paul Roof, eight-ish. I really enjoyed it. Besides moving them 900 years into the future, stop the whining about the cannon. Top fan, Paul Hayes, gave it a ten. Top fan Daniel Watson gave it a nine. Nick Christensen gave it an eight, way better than the previous seasons. And finally, top fan Chuck Youts gave it a ten. So that's what the fans thought about the season. Uh, oh, before uh, you continue, Jim, this might be interesting to you. The fans' individual score on this survey was an 8.7. The fans' overall wow. rating through all, all episodes was an 8.5. Wow. So That's our fans pretty... still are coming right about where they felt the season was. Wow. That's that is really interesting. That the that, wow, that's really, really, really spot on. 
Yeah, it yep. is very wow. it, it is very interesting because I've been doing research. I can't figure out uh, what the numbers actually are because I feel like when you look at different sources, um, they give me different opinions. For example, if you look on like Rotten Tomatoes, they'll tell you that you know critics love ninety uh, percent of critics think that Discovery is a good show, whereas only forty six percent of the audience uh, on Rotten Tomatoes scores it um, very well. So, but our fans. Uh, on our Facebook page, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just that, um, you know, fans on our Facebook page really dig this show. Um, it seems like the rating is pretty high, and I think that's I think that's good. I think that's a really good thing because I think it was a very strong season. I mean, we'll get into it here in a minute, but it seems very strong to me. Well, I think it's interesting that the, how close they rated the season to how close they rated the episodes. It's only two-tenths of a point apart. That's mm-hmm. pretty close. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's pretty consistent is what I should say. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. I, and that's I good. also think, I think it depends on where you go and who you look at, because a, a lot of the Facebook pages, I try to visit a lot of different pages because I like to get, keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. And a lot of the pages I go to, all I hear is hate and discontent, and I hate this, I hate that, I don't like this, this one cries too much, this one da-da-da-da-da-da, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, um, you don't get a lot of that on our Facebook page. I think that our fans that we have are genuinely, um, they're watching the show because they enjoy the show. They're not watching the show to pick it apart and complain about what they don't like about the show. I think we have a different um, atmosphere that we that we present to our fans on our page than perhaps a lot of the other pages do. It's it, just my opinion, and you know, mm-hmm. that's something that yeah. I've noticed. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would absolutely agree. I mean, you can come on our page and say you you don't like this, you don't like that, this one stunk, that one stunk, and that's totally that's totally fine and cool. Actually, it doesn't bother us at all. But um, I have noticed that a lot of negativity flies around on a lot of these other pages. In fact, I, I, I was just on one page before, later on, before the show, and this guy like, says something like, um, I think that, um, that Lower Decks is the best Star Trek. It's much better than Discovery. Fight me about it. And I said to the guy, fight <laughs> you about it. Why do we have to fight about it at all? This is Star Trek. I love Star Trek. And Star Trek's not about fighting, so why would you put that in your post? And he got back to me, and he says, well, this is America, and you can say anything you want and dislike anything you want. And I said, you're absolutely right, but you're missing my point. I didn't tell you that you can't dislike Discovery. I just asked you, why are you inviting people to fight with you instead of enjoy the things that they enjoy about Star Trek? And that's my point. That's what I try to bring out on this Facebook page. It's okay if you don't like Discovery. That's fine. Or if you don't like TOS, if you don't like TNG. But I don't want to waste time on negativity. Don't don't come here and tell me what you hate. Come here and tell me what you like. Um, so yeah. I think there's well, a different environment that we that we foster on our page, and I think that's why our numbers are so different than what you're seeing in other places. 
I think it is too. And I think that that it really is the fans who help us cultivate that, right? Because there's only so much policing we can do. There's only so much, uh, you know, attention we can pay. I mean, you can imagine with 30,000 Facebook followers, we, you know, there's a lot of posts in a day. Uh, and so it really is the culture of our page. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. Um, I feel like it's something that, you know, we set up at the beginning is kind of like a set of rules, but it's not really a set of rules. It's a shared, you know, come to our page. Philosophy. Overall, want, want to support one another. Yeah. We, I seem to recall we were having a lot of problems with that kind of thing in the beginning. Do you guys recall? Yeah, but I mean, we definitely have had problems periodically with it, but it's but it has calmed down, and I think that it's not just us. I think that it is the, the folks who are on our page. You know, people come to our page, and they say, gosh, I feel safe on your page because I don't feel like somebody's going to bash me for who I am or for what my Star Trek opinion is. Exactly, and that's very important to me. I want everybody to feel welcome and everybody to be part of the family, and you can come and say anything you want and nobody's going to attack you. And I think our fans are incredible. And they do a lot of the policing for us. I've noticed, have you noticed yep. that, Charles, if somebody uh, comes on and says something like, yeah. like fat, fat Tilly or something, that the fans, I won't have to say anything because the rest of the fans will jump on that person immediately, which I think is great. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a few people, sometimes I have to step in, but for the most part, I think the fans take care of it pretty well. So season three, I, I found season, I, one of the things I want to say about season three, uh, I love Michael Burnham's hairstyle. Now I'm not being racist. I was accused of this earlier. I want to clarify my point of view. In season one, Michael Burnham had a Vulcan haircut. She was raised by the Vulcan. She was trying to be Vulcan. She was acting Vulcan. She had the typical Spock haircut. In season two, she started growing her hair out and becoming more uh, human, I, I think is the right word. So her hair started growing out. They jumped 900 years into the future, and all of a sudden, her hair is no longer short. She grew her hair way out, and I, and I think it's because she's starting to discover her individuality. And she's starting to become her own person. And I think that her hairstyle through the seasons represents that. And I love the fact that she wears her hair the way she wears it right now. I think it's perfect for the character. I think it suits her style um, her, perfectly. And I'm just thrilled to see that she wears her hair the way she wears it currently. Uh-huh. So I wanted to make, make that point. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jim. I, I think there is a kind of an evolution there. And, you know, this Michael Burnham, I mean, the, the way she gets those, that long hair is there's that year, you know, after she jumps, there's that year that she waits until the discovery comes back. And, um, and she sort of grows it out during that time. And I think that that is uh, exactly a parallel path to the kind of what I'll call the de-vulcanization of Michael Burnham. Uh, I think that her choices that she makes at the battle of the binary stars are made because primarily actually because she is uh of a vulcan upbringing i mean the 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 vulcan hello right (laughs) 
Um, (laughs) She she kind of starts there. And then as the seasons progress, she kind of realizes that she can actually make uh, or kind of touch back to her human nature through her found family, through her crew, through Giorgio as a mentor slash almost like nemesis when it's mirror Giorgio. Um, And then as she heads into the future, she becomes the person who she really wants to be. Um, And I do think that, that, you know, that is characterized in part uh, by the way that she looks. And I, I don't, I think that's intentional. I think the costume designers did that on purpose. I mean, they could have given her any haircut, right. Um, But they chose to give her this one. And I agree. I think it fits the character perfectly. And to me, she now has a um, almost like an authority, you know, almost like the the wild teenage years are over. Uh, she's older and wiser now. Uh, and she just kind of looks the part. And I really did that. I think it's neat. And I've loved going on the journey with this character from season one to season two to season three and see the, the effect that Lorca had on her, the, the positive effect that, that uh, Pike, a god I love Pike, had on her, and her relationship with Giorgio, and her relationship with Saru, and her relationship with Tilly, and all these things stirred together in the pot to make her become the captain that we see at the end of the season. I think it's been a great ride, and I've really enjoyed taking it with her. So that, that's one of the things I've liked about season three a lot. Um, I also enjoyed uh, watching Saru. Saru came into his own. Um, he became captain. Uh, he deserved it when he got them out of the mirror universe, and I was totally content with him in the captain's chair. But then I, I saw the character starting to waver just a little bit um, when they found out that there was a Kelpian on the ship. Like, I don't know, episode four, maybe. Um, and he was starting to, you know, Michael Burnham mentioned that he's compromised. And he's feeling, you know, and we didn't know at the time that the red marks meant she was pregnant. He knew, but they didn't tell us what it was. We thought it was radiation poisoning. And I think he started to doubt himself at that point in time. And that's, you know, when, when Vance came and gave him the pep talk and, so on and so forth, and I think that Saru is, has been on a journey as well. He 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 managed the crew. He earned the respect of the crew. He took care of his crew, and I think, as Charles mentioned, I think he's at a point in his career now where he needs to take care of himself and go back to Kaminar. He hasn't been there in, I don't know, a lot, wait, a long time. <laughs> Yeah, since he um, was, yeah, since the brightest star, or not, the, yeah, the brightest yeah. Star, yeah. For Saru, is not over. It is not ending at all. I think there's great stuff in store for Saru, and I'm really looking forward to what he does with it. So I'm very happy with the arc that they put Saru on and where he's ended up as well. Yeah, um, I, I, I will. I will agree with you, Jim. I think that there is a part of me who is still a little bit grieving the loss of Captain Saru, and that is not to say that I don't think Michael should be captain. Um, uh, I thought Saru was a a very interesting new type of captain, and one who actually in a lot of ways had um, 
his own arc that was super compressed, right? His, his arc mostly surrounded his development uh, due to biological changes and his um, advancement through the Hara. I mean, it, it, I, I think it also included, you know, his service in Starfleet and that sort of thing, but, but it was mostly his going through that process and living through that process and kind of learning more about that process that turned him into the captain that he was. And there's a little bit of me that feels like he, he was developed uh, and kind of got this great arc and now they've dropped him in a different place. But here's what I'll say. The different place that they've dropped him in, I think is a place that Star Trek has not gone before. I mean, Star Trek's all about, you know, going where no one has gone before. Uh, And I think Saru's in that territory. If you look at one of the main themes or several of the main themes uh, of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, you know, you've got uh, compassion as a main theme. You've got trust, um, relationships between people, that sort of thing. And partially because he's Kelpian, sure, but also partially because of who he is and who Sukal is, he has now become an absolutely key and uh, essential component of Sukal's development. And what I love is that in order for Saru to continue into season four, Sukal has to also. So we're not done with that character. And I think that is pretty cool. Um, you know, we got, we got to see some new things from, from Saru, including Doug Jones acting out of makeup, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, <and laughs> yeah. journey is not done. I, I will admit that I miss Captain Saru like crazy. And I, I get a little, like, I seriously get a little sad when I think about the fact that he's not the captain anymore. And yet I think that they are taking his character in a very interesting direction. And I am looking forward to where he goes. Yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, I, I agree. We're going to see a different side of Saru. I think they're going to do with Saru what they did with Worf, where, but way Worf a bad father. I think Saru is going to be a surrogate father, but not, not one like Worf was. I think we're going to see something different from Saru. And it'll be great to see Kaminar and the Federation from a different point of view. Well, so, uh, listen, guys, we have, gonna... our, our, we have to take our final commercial break, so please don't touch the dial. Don't go away. We still have to go through and uh, talk a little bit about Season 3. And then we have your rating of all the episodes in the season. So don't touch the dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back after we hear one of the most important messages, I think, that Star Trek III um, had to offer. And this is a conversation between Tilly and Burnham. It's great. This is, this is what season three was all about. Homemade hummingbird cake. Cake is eternal. <laughs> cake is eternal. And we're back. And yes, cake <laughs> is eternal. I think that that is, that's what's going to be on the t-shirt and the poster for season three. Cake is eternal. <laughs> uh, cake is eternal. So Charles, uh, what were you saying before we went to our break? I was going to say, I think one thing I'd like to see a little detail on is Kaminar and the changes it went through. 
Mm-hmm. Because when Saru left the planet, when we last saw the planet, it was still a more of a hunter and gathering type planet. They were doing a lot of just farming and such. And the planet was starting to show some change when we left. Then we got 900 years later, and I'm curious how the culture evolved from that time period. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big evolution for that planet, and I'd be curious about the history of the evolution of that planet went through. You know, that's a good that time period. It's a good point, they Charles. They did and join I actually, the Federation. Yeah. Yeah, go yep. ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just going to say they I did join the point. Federation. Yeah, and they, they yeah. are one. They did stay in the Federation after the burn, and everybody left. So they're one of the thirty-eight planets that stayed with the Federation, and I think that's an important point. That's right, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they've developed technologically. Because you'll remember that, uh, of course, Saru's sister shows up uh, later on uh, in season two, and you know we get a little bit more from the Kelpians, and now because of this biological change we were talking about him going through the Harai, that presumably became a cultural phenomenon, I would guess. So the real question to me would be, okay, in Kaminar now, what is the status of the, um, of the Ba'ul? Like where are they yeah. in society right now? And so I'm, I'm excited about the Saru story, not just because of Saru, but because of the development of that story, because certainly they'll have to address that in season four. Definitely. Oh, I, I hope so. Yep. And uh, we can't talk about season three without the the excellent uh, redemption of Giorgio, of Emperor, Emperor Giorgio, yeah. and the Guardian of Forever. Um, that's another one of those arcs that I think that the trip was beautifully written. The character was developed. Um, wonderfully, and I think that Michelle Yeoh is ready to take the reins of Section 31 with Ash Tyler. We don't know when the Guardian sent her to, but we know that it has to be back at least 900 years ago, because that's where Ash Tyler is. Um, so, I think that the Giorgio arc was another one of those arcs that was wonderfully done in Season 3. Yeah, and I think it was well-timed, too. Uh, you know, you season three kind of had this, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about this bigger picture here in a minute, but it kind of had this really nice balance between serialized storytelling and episodic storytelling. Uh, you know, and Terra Firma Parts 1 and 2, um, they were the ninth and 10th episodes of the season, so they're, they're about two-thirds of the way through the season. Really, the only thing that comes after them is the, is the big three-part finale. Um, and so everything that was kind of leading up to that point and then saying goodbye to Giorgio right before the, the kind of big season finale, I thought worked really well in terms of pacing. And those two episodes acted as a um, as kind of a separate little story, right? It's almost like uh, like a two-parter that is also part of a seasonal story arc, but that you could just watch those two and it would be fine, right? You can just watch those two, and you don't necessarily need to know how they fit into the seasonal arc to understand what's going on. So very, right. very good, very well-timed, I thought. 
Now, uh, before we get to the individual scoring of the episodes and how they rank by the fans, by you guys, um, the burn. Now, this this uh, this kind of reminds me of the Game of Thrones. I put all this time into the Game of Thrones. We get to the end, the big climactic, huge battle at the end of Game of Thrones, and I'm sitting there scratching my head like, I watched this for seven years for this? And I'm like, okay, whatever. So what did you guys think about the explanation for the burn? Were you satisfied with it, or were you with our, our, our fan who said a kid destroys the universe? No way, forget it, I don't buy it. What do you think, Eric? Was the burn adequate? Did you buy that explanation? Well, here we go. So I think that this is uh, going to be a case of maybe Eric eating his own words, because I think after I saw episode 11, Sukal, the first uh, thing that I said was, um, I think, uh, what did I say? I didn't say, I think it, I think I said something about it just completely missed the mark and I didn't get what was going on. So at first, the explanation of the burn, I hated it. I really did. Like, I was just like, Are, you've got to be kidding me. But here's what I'll say. I think I've come around, guys. I think I've actually come around to why they did this. And I think it took all three episodes for me to fully absorb the story that they were trying to tell. And I think that this really plays into, like, overall themes for the, the season. Um, and it's not... I think we're in the zone of, you know, it's no longer the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. We are exploring stories that say the needs of the individual are really important, and we should also pay attention to those. And I think that this story of this kind of galactic calamity having happened from the, um, you know, I guess emotional outpourings, I'll say, of a pretty innocent adolescent uh, time. I mean, we see, we see causes this guy's right. It's the death of his mother. It's so sad. Um, and yet uh, it is this one person who caused it. And, and, you know, at first it seems, well, maybe that's not epic enough. Well, I think what that is, is it just didn't fit with my expectations for what I thought it was. I'd come up with all of these theories and what I thought the burn was, I was exploring like Omega molecules from Voyager and I was exploring my cellular network issues and da da, da 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 But the story they wanted to tell was the was the story that, that breaks it down to the individual level and says it's really guys, these individual relationships between I'll say human beings, but really like sentient entities. <laughs> that really, really matter, right? It's the story of Saru and Sukal and how, Su- how Saru is able to like calm the fears of this person who's grown up completely alone, spent his entire life alone. So um, I came around, didn't like it at first, but after the three episodes and after spending a little time thinking about it, I actually like the explanation for the burn. And it doesn't have to make, you know, scientific sense because Star Trek really doesn't necessarily make any scientific sense, right, guys? <laughs> hey, what did well, you think, Charles, I, about the explanation for the burn? Well, the thing is, there is a little bit of a science science behind it. And 
And if you want to go that details, I suggest listening to the Stranger Worlds podcast talking about that review of the series. But I think we look back at Poe. With Poe, the girl from the other the planet, yeah, the po. previous uh, Poe, and the, the fact that yep. she had a strong attachment, she had a strong connection to the planet that she was born on, and I believe our new character had the exact same thing because he was born the planet, born with the connection, and I believe it sounds to me as though there is a risk to having people born on a planet made of dilithium. The chances of them actually having some kind of connection to the planet itself, which that may be a very strong connection. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed the, enjoy the storyline. Eric, I might recommend you listen to la- the last review episode of Strange New Worlds and the it's a more of a scientific podcast. Mm-hmm. So they love discovery and review the episodes. But they input a bit of science into it. And some of that explanation is very interesting. But I wasn't upset at the situation. I was confused. But I like the direction they took explaining the answer. What well, about you, that- Jim? I think that there's the call um, story arc and the relationship that is developing, that has been developing and will develop between Sukal and Saru mirrors the one between Stamets and Culber and Gray and Adira. I think yeah. it's about families. It's about connections. I think the whole, on a, on a whole, the entire season has been about developing individual relationships with family. And, and that's pretty much what season three was about uh, when you come down to it. I mean, these characters are all lost. They're alone. They're searching for something kind of like Spock in Star Trek, the motion picture when he finds V'ger and he realizes it wasn't V'ger he was searching for. It was Kirk. It was Kirk and McCoy that he was searching for all along. And I think, I think that that's the similar thing, you know, Sukal needs a family. And Saru needs a family. Saru has a surrogate family in the crew, but he needs that Kel connection, which he's never, ever had. And now he has it. I think that Culber and and Stamets want a family, didn't really realize they wanted a family until they had one thrust upon them. And now they'll do anything to protect that family bond that they've developed. I think it's, it's, a beautiful message, and I think it's something that we really need in the world today, right now. So, yeah, I I enjoyed yep. it, and it didn't really didn't bother me at all. And I think that all the parallels between family and and friends and relationships all, you know, boiled right down to what happened in this in these two episodes, three episodes, anyways. Well, and so and empathy it. and empathy too, right, Jim? I mean, I. I don't know. I, I feel like Star Trek is always just on the cutting edge of whatever's going on societally. And it's sort of like, you know, it's on the cutting edge of that wave that flows through society. And I think if you look at least in the United States at the last many years and 
maybe one of our issues has been a lack of empathy for one another. You know, online venues give us the chance to kind of spout our opinions without being face to face with another human being, without looking at them in the eyes. And yet here's Star Trek um, showing us that, that characters like Culber and characters like Saru, their superpower on the show is that they are super empathetic and they actually help other human beings as a result, right? Like it's because of Culber that Detmer is able to get back on her feet and, and get kind of through her PTSD a little bit. And it's because of Saru that Sukal is able to, you know, calm himself and, and kind of move on to a new life. Um, so I just love this exploration of concepts that I feel like have been touched upon by particularly TNG, um, I think touched on these kind of empathetic uh, concepts um, through Deanna Troy and her character quite a bit. But I like that Discovery is exploring them and making them relevant as they relate to everyday life, particularly in the United States. Yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed it um, immensely. Season three has had a good balance for me. Um, Let's talk a little bit. There's a couple of things I want to talk about before we have to go. We might have to go a little bit longer, but that's okay. Um, what do you guys think about the um, sphere data and the way they ended up going into the dot sevens? Um, and is the sphere data still on discovery or are the dot now, now the sphere data because the dots were so prominently shown in the opening credits. And if there's one thing I've noticed from discovery, you need to pay attention to the opening credits because they're always relevant to the show. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think, Charles or Eric? So maybe. Uh, I don't think that discovery's dumped the core, the data completely. I think the data was blocked off because of Osira, but that I think that to keep the core active, the dots took it over, but I think the dots have become enhanced because of it, but I think the data is still there. I think it's going to be a fabulous library that Discovery has access to, and it's a library of a lot of information that's out there that a lot of Starfleet and others don't know, and I think it's important information that needs to be at, needs to be available. Still on discovery, so I wonder if eventually it may actually be transferred to Starfleet or a way where it can be stored and maintain its integrity. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. What do you think, Eric? Well, I'm I'm. I honestly am completely preoccupied with the connection of Star Trek Discovery with the short trek Calypso right now. Um, you know, in Calypso, we get a start a discovery that looks like our old discovery, not our new 32nd century discovery. And we get Zora, a fully developed, you know, AI that's running the ship and that kind of stuff. And I am completely obsessed with what the connection <laughs> between Calypso 
and the show Discovery is. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be, but I, I totally agree with Charles. I think that you know it's data, right? So it could be copied. So I think that they've embodied the dots to give the dots or to give the data a physical body that they can do stuff with. Um, and you know we've only seen the one kind of talking so far. I was a little confused by the the scene where Jet Reno quote saves the dot you know to me the dot is a tool and maybe if that one dies then the data is just in another one and it's no big deal but uh i don't know i was a little confused by that but i i think it's got to be copies because the the ship itself i think is what is the or will become the embodied personality of that data well eric they did kill the yellow one but get oh yeah it. that's true they did yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but then back. they made a big deal out of saving the red one. So <laughs> maybe the message I, was um, save the red shirt. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I was this is one of the one of the points of season three uh, that I was a little bit uh, disappointed in. I, I it's not really the right word, but I felt that with with all the sphere data that they should have the dots should have been able to take over the ship back from Osira without even blinking an eye or, or lifting a finger because of the intelligence and how, how infused the, the sphere data is into discovery itself, where I think it's safe to say that the discovery actually is um, the body of the sphere data. And for Osiris to be able to come in and take over that quick and that easy and ha- to have the sphere data and the dots not be able to take the ship back I was kind of like, well, I, I don't, I mean, you know, I was like, that should have been a lot easier than it was. It wasn't enough to make me not like it or, or step out of it or not enjoy it because I thoroughly, thoroughly did. I just felt that the sphere data should have been able to take the ship back a much easier than they did, which brings yeah, me to my next point, my, which brings me to my next point. Uh, the last point I want to make about season three Osira and the chain. Yeah. You want to add something, Karen? No. Osira (laughs) and the chain. It works in Evelyn. So, what do we what do we have to say about Osira and the chain? So, um, let me start off because I want to continue my chain of thought. Get it? Chain of thought. Osira and the chain. (laughs) So, um, I thought Osira was a great character. I thought she was a great um, bad guy. I think she was written very well. She wasn't your typical Orion. Um, you know, when she killed her nephew, um, you know, she was ruthless. However, I felt that the three-part episode kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it was too convenient, I felt, for me. You know, they wrapped it all up. They killed her. They blew up the ship. The chain fell apart. The Federation was reborn. And they set all this up. And then wham, bam, thank you, man. Boom, it's over. And that was it. And I felt that if if the chain was going to be that dangerous and Osiris was going to be that dangerous, that perhaps she should have hung around a little bit longer. Maybe she should have gone into season two and they should have had the big showdown, um, I mean, season four. And later on in season four, she should have been the, the nemesis that they conquered. Um, but again, 
none of these points that I'm making were enough to make me not thoroughly love the season or the episodes or really, really enjoy it. They're just little points that I wanted to make. So what did you think, Eric? Uh, Yeah, I feel like Osiris was probably the source of both the best of this season and the worst of this season. Um, I'll say that I think the scene with her and Vance when she is trying to negotiate an alliance with the Federation and then Vance challenges her and says that she is going to have to, you know, stand responsible for um, the transgressions of the of the chain, and she and she won't do it, and that reveals so much about her character. That is one of my favorite moments of this of this season. Um, I just thought that was really strong, and I did like her character quite a bit. I love that they took a an Orion female and didn't make her a sexy slave. Right, they made her a powerful leader, which I think was totally awesome. But I have to tell you that probably my least favorite moment, or one of my least favorite moments of this entire season, was the final battle between her and Michael Burnham. Um, you know, the the whole like Osira burying Michael in the programmable matter, and then Michael solving the problem by just shooting her, and like. You know, that's it. Um, weak sauce. Like, just not very Starfleet. Not the way that that villain should have gone down. She was so good. And furthermore, the way they wrote that, the scene after that was, you know, Vance says something like, with Osiris gone, the chain will part. And it's like, come on, really? Like, one person wouldn't be the linchpin of an entire galactic organization that rivals and probably dominates over the Federation. So I agree with you, Jim. I feel like the way they left Osira was pretty bad and probably my least favorite part of the season. Awesome season. Loved it overall. I give it high ratings, but that part of it did not like it. Um, what do you think, Charles? Did you have a similar or a different opinion? Well, actually, I, I kind of get to I think Osira was the change. I think she was the main center of the chain and losing her kind of broke the chain apart. Now we can always sit there and say they say the chain is gone. You still may have remnants of the chain. You still may have groups that are going to be small independent factions but you're still going to have the have the Orion connections out there. You're just going to lose the big overall a group that's trying to stand up against everybody else. But it still might be interesting to see what happens to parts of the chain next season. I think that's something they still could discuss in season four. Well, it's interesting, Charles, that you should it say was that. A short now, way. I was just going to say, it wasn't until you just said that that I thought about the fact that the name of the organization is The Chain, and as soon as one link in the chain breaks, the chain breaks, right? So maybe that, yeah, the maybe there's link. some, yeah, well, yeah, and maybe, yeah, exactly, the weakest link. But, but the fact that they named it the chain and Osira leaving it broke the whole thing. Okay, okay, all right, maybe I can, maybe I can get into that now. <laughs> I just, I'm having a revelation right this moment. So, uh, what would you, what would you score the? Uh, the season 
a scale of one to ten. What would you give it, Eric? Yeah, I think I'm I'm right there uh, with about my average for most of the episodes uh, that I think we reviewed. I think I'm in for about a uh, an eight point. I'm gonna go to an eight point seven. Uh, no, eight point eight. Eight point eight is my final answer uh, because I think this was the best uh, the best discovery season overall. So many cool things about it that we didn't get to talk about. So many that we did get to talk about, but very, very strong. Uh, and I think it leaves us in a really cool place for season four. So I'll give this an 8.8 deltas out of 10. How about you, Charles? I think I was debating about the score right around where the fans were, but I think I'll go with Eric and agree with him. An 8.8 is a good spot for this one. This was definitely yeah, a good season. That's exactly where I was going to go, 8.7, 8.8. So we're all in agreement on that, which is, which is rare. <laughs> <But it's laughs> to be cool. that aligned, yeah. So uh, the last thing that I want to cover for you guys, we're going to go a little bit over, but that's okay, is we asked the fans to score each episode of Discovery each week. And Charles has been kind enough to keep track of all those scores. So I want to go over this with you guys. Uh, starting with episode 13 on our scale of 1 to 13 because it was 13 episodes. And at the bottom of our chart, scoring at 6.7, is episode 11, Sukal, worst episode of the season, according to our fans. Uh, Coming in at number 12, uh, episode 6, Scavengers, which scored a 7.7. Coming in at number 11, Episode 4, Forget-Me-Not, 8.2. Then we have Episode 8, The Sanctuary, with 8.3. And then we have Episode 1, That Hope Is You, Point, Part 1, with a score of 8.25. Then we have Episode 9, Terra Firma, Part 1, which scored 8.5. And then we have episode three, People of Earth, which scored 8.5 as well. So we have a tie right there. And then we have episode 12, There is a Tide, with 8.6. And barely, barely a skosh above that is episode five, Dying, Crying, with an 8.7. And now we're getting up there, guys. Now we're getting up into our top episodes. Uh, coming in in fourth place of the season, we have Episode 7, Unification Part 3, which scored a 9. Excellent episode. And that's tied with Episode 2, Far From Home, which also scored a 9. Coming in at number 2 was Episode 10 of the season, which got a 9.1, Terra Firma Part 2. And the overall best episode, the number one episode of season three was episode 13, the season finale, That Hope Is You, part two, which according to the fans, scored a 9.9. is through the roof. So that's how you guys, our fans, scored the episodes. What do you guys think? Does that sound pretty good? Would you agree with that? I think it's pretty close. I mean, I think the ones that I would expect to be towards the top of the list, like that Hope Is You uh, Part 2, 
and terra firma part two and unification are all at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, ones uh, like Sukal and um, Scavengers are at the bottom because I do think, I do think overall those were the weakest ones. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Sukal for me somehow works as part of the trilogy, but if you just sit and watch that episode and you, and you got to it by watching the first 10 episodes and then all of a sudden you watch Sukal, it's kind of a, it's a shock. It's like a complete departure. You're like, what's going on? Where are we? I don't, I don't understand how we got from episode 10 to episode 11. So well, fits, fits for me. What do you think, Charles? Does it fit with your expectations? Um, I'm trying to remember. What were the three episodes of Freak? Well, Freaks did, uh, Freaks did the second episode of the three, yeah. of the three part episode. Yeah. There's Sukal a call was the it, first one. Yeah. There is a tide was freaks. And then the, the finale was some others that hope is you part two was somebody else. Freaks did the middle one. I think freaks did unification well, right three right three as middle. well. Uh, yeah, I think he did too. Actually, he I think about it. So I think he was up yeah. there. He, he did pretty, he did pretty well in some, many of his episodes. But I think I agree with the – I kind of agree with how people kind of sell this one. The call, I would have gone a little higher, but that's just because I think it was an episode that confused people too much. Mm-hmm. And I think once we realized how it tied into Discovery, it made a lot more sense. Well, isn't that interesting how I feel like everybody had, I mean, I talked about this a little bit ago, but how everybody had sort of set up expectations for what caused the burn. And then that is the episode where we actually find out the truth, right? And I don't, yeah. I, I, think, I think part of that low number is not necessarily that the episode was bad, but that it didn't fit with people's expectations. You know, it'd be interesting to, to take these same um measurements like in two or three years after everything's been out for a while and then you you were to measure people who were newly watching the series for the first time and to see if all of the you know people who are binging it to see if all of the buildup and that sort of stuff about the burn is less because you know this show is is released weekly and so it took us um well 11 weeks or whatever to get to Sukal and we all had this idea of of what the burn was going to be for 11 weeks uh, and then when it didn't fit with our expectations, some of us were were disappointed, even if it is still a good story. So, yeah, I feel like that number might go up over time. Well, I think one of the things about Discovery that a lot of a lot of fans don't take into account or don't understand, or maybe they just don't care, is that it's not episodic anymore. You, it's not like TNG. It's not like Voyager. It's not like Enterprise. Uh, you know, season one, season two, season three, all go together. They're all pieces of a puzzle. They're chapters in a book. And nobody sits down and reads chapter seven and then closes up the book and doesn't read anymore. You start at chapter one and you go to chapter two and you go to chapter three. And that's where discovery sits with me. And now that I've gotten to the end, now that I've seen where it took us, it makes me appreciate the journey that we went on that much more. And I think a lot of fans will sit there and they'll watch it and they'll, well, I hate it. I'm not going to watch it anymore. And if you do that, you're, you're denying yourself the, the pleasure of taking the journey 
as a whole. You know? Mm-hmm. Give it a chance. Yeah. Watch it yeah. all. Reminds Watch me all. of Reminds me of the people who often say they look at the last, they pick up a book and read the last chapter. They look and see how it ends. But where is the interest of seeing seeing the pace of a book by starting with the last page, the last chapter? You want to go through a book and see what happens and how it works its way up to a finale. Yeah, I mean, it's... If you go back and you look at where Discovery started in season one, you look at where Burnham was, you look at where Saru was, you look at where Giorgio was, well, prime Giorgio and then Emperor Giorgio, and then you look at season three and you see where those characters, the ride that they took, how the choices they made affected them, and where they ended up, and that makes the journey worth taking, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. So I've I've enjoyed all three seasons, and I have the feeling to me it feels like season four is going to be a new slate. We're going to start anew, is the way I I kind of get that feeling, especially with the Gene yeah. Roddenberry quote playing the TOS music at the end. It's kind of like now now we're going to see Discovery start to go boldly go where no one has gone before. You know we've taken the journey, we've set up our characters, and now the show is about to start. That's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. So, yep. anyway, yep, guys, definitely. we are out of time. No. <laughs> so, uh, I just want to I just want to say thank you to all you guys that are listening around the globe. We really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and uh, like and follow us so you never miss a show. I want to take an opportunity to say thank you to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us and, and uh, compiling all those numbers for all those episodes for us. Thank you very much, Charles. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a, wor- it's been a great season to travel through. It, it has been fun. I've really enjoyed the journey. It's been a lot of fun. And sharing it with you guys has been great as well. I also want to take an opportunity to say thank you to Eric, not only for Trek talking with us tonight, but for putting together that awesome new theme song that we have. Thank you very much, Eric. It's been great to have you along. Oh, you bet. Uh, I had a blast, and this was such a fun season to watch together and to to have friends to talk about it with. It's been, it has definitely been fun. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe The Guardian. I'm not sure, but we'll have something fun to talk about. Don't you guys worry about that. And uh, I'm your Uncle Jim signing off from Vermont saying thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you for giving us your support. You guys mean the world to us. Everybody, please be good to each other and stay safe. Good night, everybody. Failing frequencies are closed. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. Let's fly.